<laughs> oh, fun. We're continuing to look at the book of Isaiah in this third Sunday of Advent now. And so if you want to follow along, we're in Isaiah 35, jumping ahead to Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. And this is an interesting uh, sort of buffer passage here in Isaiah, uh, because it stands in the middle of uh, what some have called uh, 1st Isaiah and 2nd Isaiah, or others have broken it out in different ways, because the people are heading into exile. The people of God are being hauled off to Babylon to exile, or possibly, as I'll mention a little later, have already been there, or already there, and that's where this is sitting. So we're here in the middle of the book of Isaiah, where the people of God have, have started to experience true defeat, exile, hauled off to a foreign place where nothing is, is normal, nothing is the right way, everything's wrong, everything's foreign, and the people of God are trying to figure out, is there any hope? Is there any hope? So Isaiah 35 this is Isaiah's dream. And I love, uh, in the book of Isaiah, what, I, what I've been doing myself in, uh, in preparing for these messages and in thinking this through is try to picture, try to paint a picture in your mind. Imagine what Isaiah is describing, especially if you were a people, as I described, living in exile without hope. Try to picture in your mind what Isaiah is describing here. Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. He says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I heard a story of a man named Troy Anderson, there's Troy on the far uh, left, on the far left, uh, Troy uh, started an organization called Speaking for the Poor, Speaking for the Poor. Years ago, he, uh, he traveled, his family moved around a lot, uh, traveled a great deal in his life, and something he consistently saw broke his heart. We talked about this last week, what breaks your heart? Something he saw in all of his travels was young girls, yes, girls, not young women, girls who were in prostitution, and this broke his heart. 
He saw this consistently in his travels. And he wanted to be then an attorney, a lawyer, so that he could speak up for the poor, so he could speak for them and help them get out of these places and, and help them go and rescue them. And in fact, he did this. He started by going with the organizations like International Justice Mission, who does great work. They go into these countries, they go in and they, they figure out how to rescue these young girls from prostitution, from forced child slavery, essentially. But he realized what was happening. It's like uh, if you've ever heard the image of um, there's a river and there's bodies in the river and you can go and continue to pull the bodies out of the river. But at some point you have to ask yourself, what's going on upstream that's making these bodies end up in the river? And so he said, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. I need to go upstream and figure out what are the systems, what are the things that are causing these girls to end up in prostitution. So today, what he did is he ended up going to Bangladesh and realizing that he needed to do things to educate young girls. What was happening is that, uh, as he describes, 80 to 90%, listen to this now, in the villages of Bangladesh where he works, 80 to 90% of the girls are married by 12, 13, or 14 years old. And so he shared this story, and it reminded me, as I was hearing his story, it reminded me of Isaiah's dream, Isaiah's vision to a people who have no hope. Here's what he said. He says, there's a saying in the villages of Bangladesh, girls are born for marriage. As a girl, your only purpose in life is to cook, to clean, to have babies, and give pleasure to your husband. Girls will say, I'm a burden to my family. I need to drop out of school because it's too expensive. So what do we do, he says? We help them dream. And this is the story that caught my ear. He said when he first started, he would ask girls in the villages, what's your dream? And the girls would look at him, these 12 or 13-year-old girls, like they didn't understand. And he says they understood the words, but the concept didn't make sense. What's your dream? That's what they do. They help them dream. They help them imagine that there is a better life possible. That they don't have to marry at 12, 13, or 14. And what ends up happening a lot of the times is if a husband doesn't like what's going on or if there's abuse, the husband just leaves. If you can imagine 12 or 13-year-olds trying to, to have children, it's very dangerous and so a lot of these, these, these young girls, not knowing how to fend for themselves, end up in forced prostitution. And so he said largely that he asks the question, what is your dream? It was fascinating to me that they didn't understand the concept. The concept made no sense to them. A dream? That there could be a different reality than this? This is just what it is. This is what we do. And so they try to help them dream. I started thinking about this, thinking about our own kids today and our own uh, children, my own children, and their ability to dream. I actually, uh, my daughter's not here, so I, I, she's not of the age yet where she's going to go like, Dad, quit preaching about me. Uh, so she's not here and won't listen to it or anything. So don't tell her I talked about her. But I was curious, we were driving to school the other day, and I was curious, what's the difference with our own kids? Would they, do they have the ability to dream? And so I asked her, Lena, what's, What's your dream? Like, what do, you, what do you want in life? And 
She painted this picture of being, <laughs> she actually drew me a picture. I was going to take a picture of it, but it, it didn't turn out all that great. But the picture was wonderful. Um, maybe some of you won't like this too much because you're Dodgers fans. But she wants to be the Chicago Cubs manager. She wants to be the coach of the Chicago Cubs. And she drew this picture. And what's wonderful about it is it was a, a picture of Coach McDaniel coaching the Cubs at Wrigley Field. And the pitcher on the mound pitching against the Cubs was Fernando Valenzuela. I don't know. There you go. But it just struck me as, I mean, our own children have this ability to dream. What does it take to get to a place where you can't dream? Where it's just, the situation is so bleak, circumstances are so bad, it's so terrible that you can't even dream. A brighter tomorrow? No, no, no. That's not possible. And so we read these words from Isaiah And Isaiah gives a dream, a hope, a vision of a future where God is here, the people are saved. In the desert, it's bursting forth with life, streams of water flowing. And as I said, this original audience, here they are, either, here's the situation, either, given the the state of where, if you want some just background on who is Isaiah writing to, either the people are locked up in the walls of Jerusalem, Because the Assyrian army is standing at the gates, ready to destroy them, and they were being starved out. There's actually stories in the Bible that people were starting to eat other people because they were being starved out. So that's either the situation, that's pretty bleak, you're not doing a lot of dreaming if that's your situation, or these people were already hauled off into exile in Babylon. Babylon came and defeated them, hauled everybody away to Babylon, And so it's possible that, again, Isaiah is trying to help them dream, reimagine coming back. I think that that's probably where he's he's coming from, probably writing to the exiles because of the language of the highway that will lead them back. There will be a way that will lead you back. He's helping them dream. A people who, who can't dream, what is the concept of a dream? Our reality is bleak. We're here doing forced labor by these Babylonians. This is no way to live. He describes them as having feeble hands, weak knees, fearful hearts. And I love, in fact, the the original Hebrew, fearful hearts is really more, more appropriately, their hearts are racing. Those whose hearts are racing. Other translations say those who have anxious hearts. There's no dreaming going on amongst these people. That's why this is good news, that this dream of Isaiah is is giving them a picture of a better tomorrow. And I think it's still relevant for us today. Because I believe that there are things that happen in our world and in our society and in our lives that make it sometimes hard for us to dream. As I prayed earlier, sometimes... As we, as we talk about this great vision of all things being made new, of Jesus wiping every tear away and, and raising the dead and all this, sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes, and, and I think the season of Advent is the time for us to be honest, sometimes it's hard for us to believe that stuff. And we go, ah, could that really happen? Look at what's going on in our world. Could that really happen? And so we need dreamers like Isaiah to wake us up and say, no, people of God, hang on to the dream. It's coming. God's going to come and save us. He's going to make all things new. Your rescuer is coming. He's coming. Hang on to the dream. But the question for you and I is, what is 
our dream? Does our dream, is it big enough to include the restoration and reconciliation of all things? Does our dreaming include a time where God will rescue us, as Isaiah says, from our sorrows, our pain? Does our dream include the blind receiving sight, the deaf being able to hear, the lame leaping like a gazelle, water bursting forth in the desert? Do we dare dream that big? What's your dream? Or has the concept become foreign to us? In this season of Advent, we're reflecting on God sending His Son to walk among us. Let that blow your mind for a second. No other faith tradition has this this concept that the God who made all things humbled Himself and walked among us, and that's what we're celebrating. We're reflecting on Jesus' life on earth when in the words of Isaiah, God came to hearts that were racing hands that were feeble, knees that were weak, to a world in need of rescue. God came. He did it. That's what we're proclaiming in this season of Advent and Christmas. That dreams like Isaiah partially came true. God came. He did it. He made a move toward us. He came and said, I am for you. I want to buy you back, my people. I want to rescue you. I love that in uh, Matthew chapter 11, just in case you're like, I don't know, did Jesus really do that? You're in good company because John the Baptist was asking the same questions. Is he really the one? John the Baptist was asking these same questions. I don't know if you remember this scene in Matthew chapter 11. It's one of my favorite stories uh, uh, of, of Jesus interacting with people. So John the Baptist, if you remember John the Baptist, he was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. He was a cousin to Jesus, and he's preparing the way for Jesus, pointing people back to God. God is coming, he's saying. Repent. Turn back to God. Well, all of this, turn back to God, people, come on, wake up language, got John in some trouble, and he got thrown into prison. And so in Matthew 11, he's in prison, and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and here's the question they ask. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? They're they're still wondering, there's still some hope, there's still some dreaming, but they're kind of, should we have put all of our eggs in this basket? Did I end up in prison for the wrong guy? Are you really the one? I imagine John saying, was my dream misplaced? He's eventually going to be executed and he's wondering is Jesus really the one is he the one that the prophets like Isaiah talked about or or did I did I blow it should I have put my hope in something else and I love Jesus response especially as we look placed alongside this prophecy from Isaiah look at Jesus response placed alongside what Isaiah says it's going to look like when God comes Jesus says go back Report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. I love it because Jesus doesn't say like, yeah, tell John yes. Tell John, knock it off, quit worrying. 
And I'm like, ah, I'm so annoyed by John continuing to ask me these questions. Just tell him, yes, I'm the Messiah. You want me to shoot a lightning bolt or something? What do you want me to do? He says, instead, John will understand the prophecies. John will understand what the Messiah, what, when, when God sends the Messiah, when God raises up the Messiah, John will understand what that person is supposed to do. So instead of just going back and telling John, yeah, Jesus says, yeah, he's good to go. Go back and tell him what you see me doing. That the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf's ears are unstopped, the dead are raised. Sounds a lot like what Isaiah has been talking about here. If you start to make the connections in Scripture and start to understand why people believed Jesus was who he said he was, not just based on his words, but on what he did. So all of those of us now looking back on this, we can say, yeah, Jesus did all that. He strengthened feeble hands. He steadied weak knees. He gave courage to hope, uh, courage and hope to fearful hearts. He did all that, that Isaiah said. In fact, and here's a part that just kind of blew me away this week as I started looking at this. He even said, Jesus said, I am the way. Isaiah prophesies, pro- prophesies gives us a dream of a way away to God, and Jesus comes along and says, I am the way. How interesting. This dream of the highway leading the people back to God, this is a theme of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah dreams of a way, a highway where the redeemed who are scattered around the world will come back to God. They'll find their way back to God on this highway, on this holy way. God will gather the people back. He gives us this dream and then Jesus shows up and he says, I am the way. I am the way. This was Isaiah's dream. What's your dream? What's our dream? Because I wonder if our dreams are big enough. Let's go back to that. Are our dreams big enough? Can God save us from the wilderness if we are people, if we just for a second, let's imagine that, that we are these people in exile in a state of wilderness. I don't know if you've ever experienced wilderness or exile before. A place of loneliness, of despair, of feeling like things aren't adding up. Maybe you're even there right now. And it's hard in those places. I've been there myself. It's hard to dream. It's hard to imagine getting out of there. Can you imagine getting out of that place, being rescued from that dry, that desolate land? I have to confess that my time in the wilderness, I hated every single minute of it. Hated every minute of it. I remember, uh, and this was a lot of um, my own kind of asking, God, what do you have for me next? What are you calling me to do next in my life? And I remember talking to spiritual mentors who would kind of say things like, the wilderness is good for you. And just being like, that is not what I want to hear. Can you just help me get out? And they'd say, you know, the wilderness is a place of learning. It's a place of growing. It's a place of stretching. It's a place where you will wrestle with God, maybe like Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness. And you'll have these experiences and you'll wonder, is God even here? And you'll think, oh, yes, he is. No, he's not. And the spiritual director would continue to say, trust the wilderness. The wilderness is good. And I'd say, I hate every minute of this. And I'd try to claw my way out. I'd, I'd try to jump it. Maybe this is the thing to get me out and realize that it only got me deeper in because of disappointment. 
I've experienced and felt the pain of rejection, loss. I've learned that the wilderness is cruel. I understand what it means to have a fearful heart, to be anxious, and feel like I, I don't know that something is really coming next. What do I do? Should I blaze my own trail out of this? But I've also experienced the feeling of being found, being heard, being healed of God's redemption and rescue, of God saying, here is the way, walk in it, and felt the joy of being able to dream again. The truth as I've experienced it and as Isaiah's dream implies is that God is the only one who can rescue us from the wilderness. That might seem like something, sure, you have to say that. You're a pastor. You're like a professional Christian. You have to tell us that. It's okay. God will be with you in the wilderness. Thanks, Chad. That's really helpful right now. It may seem trite. It may seem something like I'm forced to say, but I've found that it's absolutely true. That God was there when I would quiet my own heart quiet my own attempts to claw my way out, blaze that trail, as I said. I had these images sometimes of like, I'm just going to get a flamethrower, and I'm just going to take down trees and take down brush, and I'm getting out of here doing my thing. And I realized that some of the ways that maybe I had thought about getting out would have actually put me deeper in. And so I had to learn that the truth is that God is there, and he will Show a way out. Jesus is always there, even in the wilderness. That in the desert of life, abundant life, the abundant life Jesus promised, the, the, the image here, I hope you had some picture of, of streams in the desert, that that image can happen for us if we dare to dream big enough. There's an author named Parker Palmer who's a Quaker and I found some, uh, some real help in uh, his, this was, this was one of these guys that my spiritual director kept saying, you need to read this guy, Parker Palmer. He talks a lot about the wilderness and what you can learn in the wilderness. And in that time, I was like, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to learn anything. I just want to get out of this. But, but coming back to Parker, uh, out of the wilderness, that maybe I should look back and see what I learned and, and see about this. And so he talks a lot about uh, his trips to the Boundary Waters. Boundary Waters is an area of lakes and interconnected things, I think I've re referenced before, that are uh, in northern Minnesota, right there on the boundary of Canada and the U.S. Beautiful area, wilderness area, not allowed to have motorboats in there, totally untouched by anybody other than those who will brave it with their canoes and kayaks to go camping up there. He says he makes an annual pilgrimage there just to get away from it all, to learn what he can. It's like he's a sick person, wants to go to the wilderness to learn things. I don't know. But he goes there. And here's what he says. It's not tranquility alone that makes this wilderness a place of healing. It's the patient, resourceful, resilient way nature heals itself, showing me what it takes to heal my own wounds so I can be in the world as a healer. Watching wilderness overcome devastation, there's the wilderness, there's the way, I got a little bit behind on my slides. Watching wilderness overcome devastation has helped me see how suffering can serve as a seedbed for renewal. Even more, it has offered reassurance that in the great cycle of life and death, new life 
always gets the last word. I love that. If you're experiencing the wilderness road right now, you're, you're experiencing the pain of loss, heartache, whatever it is, things that we often don't like to talk about in this Christmas season. We like to gloss over and just go, everything's good. Jesus is coming, hallelujah. But the truth is, for many of us, this can be a hard, hard season where we can feel like we're in the wilderness and we can wonder, dare I dream again? I've lost sight of the concept. Can you believe that the wilderness, the wilderness can teach you something? It can, it can uh, in the words here, uh, I love how you said that the, in the wilderness, the wounds that you receive can actually f- help you be a healer in the world. The wounds that you receive in the wilderness can help you be in the world as a healer. That the world, wilderness teaches us that in the cycle of life and death, new life always has the last word. Have you experienced this for yourself? I hope that you have experienced this. If you've been in the wilderness and gotten out, that you can share with someone else and say, Isaiah's right. There is a dream. Keep dreaming. You will get out. God will pave a way and I'm here to walk alongside you. So what's your dream? The final place I want to land this morning as we talk about now, like how do we help others get out of the wilderness? How do we help others dream? The question I had to ask myself is, are people still coming and asking, like John's disciples asked, is God here? Is there hope? Can my situation improve? Is there purpose and meaning to this life? Are people still asking that? I believe they are. But the harder question I had to ask myself is, are people still asking the church those questions? Or have they looked elsewhere? Have they said, I'm not so confident the church has those answers anymore. I'm going to look elsewhere. What would it look like for us who are following Jesus, who said He is the way, who helps us to dream and imagine that all things will be reconciled, all things will be made new, that in the great cycle of life and death, life will always win. How can we be those who say to our world, you can find that here. Come here and find it. Find hope. Find peace. Find purpose and meaning in your life. How can we be like like this guy, Troy Anderson, who said, I want to help people dream again. I want to inspire people with hope. Motivated by my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to help people see that there is a bigger picture, a bigger reality. You should dream. Can can people, can can we be a place? This is just getting back to this. Are Are people looking for this in the church? And I'm struggling to answer yes. I want to be able to say, yeah, oh yeah, we've still got it. And I don't know that we do. Or at least people have said, I don't think you do. And that scares me. It makes my heart race to where it all comes back and I have to turn to God again and say, help me dream. Help us dream, God. Help us dream dreams for our community Help us dream dreams for our neighbors, for for the businesses, for the kids growing up in our community, for our schools. Help us dream dreams for the social services, government agencies. Help us to expand our dream to include everyone. 
Because here's what I find very interesting. The church today has a bit of a reputation for being exclusive and narrow. I don't know if you've heard this yet, but it's out there. It's out there. We have this reputation for focusing on all the things that might exclude someone from the kingdom. Sorry, you can't follow Jesus because of this, this, and this. We have this reputation of being, uh, being known for what we're against rather than known for what we are for. And I find this fascinating whenever I hear this because I think the picture painted in the Bible is actually expanding who is included. Because it starts very narrow where Abraham is called, he's one individual, but he is actually called, God says, I will bless you, Abraham, to bless everyone. But, but they kind of don't do that. Right? I mean, if you follow the, the, the story of the Bible, Abraham, it's pretty tribal. They're kind of like, oh, let's protect our own. They interact with some other groups, but mostly they're fearful of other groups. And they kind of protect their own. But then at, at one point, you know, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob, you have Jacob's sons. They go to Egypt and expands a little bit. And they come back to the land and you have the whole conquering part. But, but at some point in there, God starts to say, hey, if there are some foreigners living amongst you and they want to follow my ways, we can include them. They can be included in this. Because remember, it's to bless the whole nations, bless all the people. I'm not just blessing you for you. Bless all the people. And then you fast forward and Jesus comes on the scene and he starts to, to be with the wrong people. It starts to show that maybe, gosh, this narrow vision of who was in and who was out is starting to expand a little bit. And other people can be brought in on the way. And then Paul goes and dares to say, Paul, a Jew of Jews, dares to say that the Gentiles get to be included. People like us, can you imagine? Ugh. People like you and me being included? Yuck. And so we kind of mess this whole thing up because all of a sudden it's like, oh man, God is actually, whoever wants to follow him can follow him. And it's expanding and expanding, as Jesus said, it's going to start in Jerusalem and you're going to preach to the ends of the earth. It expands. And so it's made me wonder, how are we known for this narrow, exclusive faith when actually the history of Scripture is that more and more people get to be included? That's the good news of Christmas. God made a move towards us. He didn't distance himself from us. He didn't say, things are getting pretty bad down there. I'm going to go to a new planet. He said, no, I love them so much. I want to demonstrate that I am for them by going to them. Sending my son to them. Is our dream that big? That it includes all people? Even the people that you're like, I don't know that I want it to include them. Is our dream that big? That this, this, this vision that Isaiah gives us can include all people finding themselves on the way. All people who have feeble hands, weak knees, racing hearts could find their way to God, be saved, be rescued. Because that is the story of Christmas. Jesus is saying, I'm, God is sending his son to be for all 
people, all who would invite them into their hearts. Like Troy Anderson, I believe we have the chance to help people dream. We have a chance to put people on a better way, to help them find their way out of the wilderness, out of exile, out of despair, a way that's not created by us, but is established by God, who came to all of us with feeble hands, weak knees, fearful hearts. He came to us to save us. Let us not forget this in this Christmas season. We have a huge opportunity in the Christmas season to say, come, come check out Jesus. He's actually a lot of fun. He comes to us to to help us in our wilderness moments. And He comes again to crown His people with everlasting joy. Can you see it? Have you been able to see it during this this message? Or or is it ah, still a little cloudy? I'll ask one final time. What is your dream? Let's pray. God, throughout your word, you call prophets, you call people to give a big picture, a big dream of where where this world is headed. And it's headed, Lord, to you saving those who would call on your name, to you saving, Lord, all who would say yes to you, to your way. And then, Lord, you, you sent your son, Jesus, who said He is the way. And others who said all who would follow Him would have abundant life, eternal life, forever and ever life. Lord, for anybody here in this room who has feeble hands, weak knees, whose hearts are racing, who are experiencing as the Israelites experienced a feeling of exile, of being in a foreign place, not belonging. A feeling of being in the wilderness, not knowing where they're going. Lord, come to them. Come to them and show them that you're there and you are blazing a trail out. Lord, help all of us who have experienced that to walk alongside others to bring healing to them, to listen to them. And God, help each and every one of us in this room to truly believe in this Christmas season that you sent your Son out of your great love for us to rescue us and save us and to teach us ultimately that new life always wins. Where we see death, where we see disappointment, new life is coming. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.